if it's okay with you, Rebecca, we can start a couple minutes early. So uh, Rebecca Holland is here to talk to us. Um, and um, she's going to tell her story and her uh, and and how she uh, overcame her adversities. Well, hi, can everyone hear me okay? Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. I got a new fancy camera with a new microphone, so I was hoping everyone could hear me. Well, thank you so much for having me this evening. My name is Rebecca Holland, and I live in Altoona, Pennsylvania. I am 32 years old, and I'm really happy and honored to be here. Um, I've only relatively recently gotten more involved with the Pennsylvania Council of the Blind, but I've been on the mailing list for a while and gotten a lot of the literature, so thank you again for having me. Um, I was born with bilateral congenital cataracts uh, back in 1988, and uh, so I needed nine surgeries before I was a year old in order to remove the cataracts, and as a complication of surgery, uh, because I also had secondary membranes grow, I developed glaucoma by the time I was four. Uh, So growing up, I was always uh, sort of bridging we're talking about bridge, building bridges. I was always sort of standing with one foot in the world of blindness and one foot in the world of the sighted. Uh, they really weren't sure what to do with me in school. At the time, the philosophy seemed to be that if a student had sight or usable vision, that they should learn to read large print and access the world in a sighted manner. I really wish growing up that I would have had the opportunity to learn Braille. So that's one of the things that's on my bucket list. But growing up, I did have access to technology, and so I use different forms of adaptive technology in my day-to-day life. Currently today, I work as uh, a pastor in the United Methodist Church, and I serve two churches in Altoona, Pennsylvania. I have my Master's in Divinity, and my undergraduate degree is in English education. But it's been a really, really long road to get here. And I documented part of this story in one of the two books that I have out right now, Uh, I've written two books. The United Methodist Church and Disability is one of them. And then the other one is a small book of poetry called Through My Good Eye, a memoir in verse. My third book is currently uh, in the publication process with a small publisher called Touchpoint Press. And so I'm a very strong believer in the fact that we, as people, as as members of the blindness community, that we can start to build bridges by sharing our stories with others. But it took me a very, very long time to find, to find the ability to be comfortable sharing my story. Uh, when I was a young person, I was very, very, very in love with music. I was always involved with music. I was a singer, and I eventually started taking flute and piano lessons. My goal in life was to be a teacher of music. My, I, wanted, I didn't want to be famous. I didn't want to be a rock star. I didn't want to be a country singer. What I wanted to do was I wanted to share music with children. It had brought me so much comfort growing up. It was something that I could do. It didn't matter if I could see or if I couldn't see. I could make music. And I wanted to share that joy with others and give other people those tools. Uh, so when I graduated from high school, I was eventually, I was accepted to college to study music education, and I was the happiest that I had ever been in my entire life. During high school, I had experienced a large amount of bullying, especially because of my white cane and my large print texts, and I really thought that college was going to be different. In a lot of ways, it was. I found that college was 
a place where I could find friends and where everyone was a lot more accepting. But I was very, very surprised to encounter just how ableist the system could be. I attended a university here in Pennsylvania, and one of the professors in the music department, who was a very, very important professor, refused to teach me. He said that he simply did not work with students with disabilities. He refused to give me access to texts in an accessible format. He refused to work with me to get large print. And eventually, uh, during an exam, he simply told me face to face that he was not going to pass me. At the time, in order to pass music theory, you had to take a one-on-one -on -one exam with that professor. And he said that no matter what I did, no matter how hard I worked, no matter how well I played or sang or played the piano and sang at the same time, no matter what I did, I wasn't going to pass. And that was very, very heartbreaking for me. All I'd ever wanted up to that point was to be a music teacher. And growing up, I'd always been told that I could be anything I wanted to be, that I could do anything I wanted to do. I just had to do it a little differently. I'd never experienced ableism quite like that before. And I really didn't know how to fight it. I talked to different advocacy groups and I looked at different options, but the thing was at that point, um, time was running out. The way insurance worked at the time was I could only be in my mother's insurance for a few more years. And so I had to get out of college, get a job, get insurance, so that I'd be able to continue to afford the medications I needed to preserve the little bit of eyesight that I had because I only knew how to interact with the world in a half-sighted way. I had a lot of decisions to make, so I eventually switched from music education to English education. But I mourned for the loss of my music the way you'd mourn for the loss of a loved one. I really felt as if something had died. It was one of the darkest times in my life, and as I was going through the motions and get earning my degree in English education, you think that the ableism or the struggle would have stopped there, but it didn't. During my time student teaching, I, uh, the principal of the school where I was student teaching at decided that it was dangerous. He decided that it would be dangerous to have a visually impaired teacher overseeing students. And so while everybody else who was student teaching got to practice their classroom management skills at times without their supervising teacher present, it was ordered that I always had to be in the classroom with another person. Finally, I did graduate, and then the struggle was they didn't want to give me a regular teacher's license. They didn't want to, the school didn't want to license me. But I eventually did manage to pass the praxis and complete all the necessary requirements in order to teach in Pennsylvania. And so today I am actually licensed to teach, to teach English grades 7 through 12, but it was a long and arduous journey. But on that journey, I learned something about myself. I learned that although I loved English and I loved writing, and I found it very therapeutic to put my story into words and to share stories with others, I found that I wanted something more and that I was being called in a different direction. I ended up attending seminary in Washington, DC, and graduating with my master's in divinity, and I now work in the United Methodist Church. And I thought that perhaps in the church I would encounter less ableism. You would think that people who were deeply Christian might be more loving and accepting. And many times they were, but I also found that many times people simply didn't know how to interact with someone who was visually impaired or someone who was blind or someone who, like me, who was visually impaired and female and half Filipino. 
I'm kind of an oddity in a lot of different ways if you want to talk about the intersecting of lots of different bridges. And so here I find myself today, and in a lot of ways, although the loss in my past was very, very tragic, I find myself happier than I've ever been before. I think if my story shares anything or if it inspires anyone, I think the message is still, you can, we can still do anything anyone else can do, and we still just do it differently. But I think life takes different detours than we would expect. And I think the beauty can be in the detour, that the beauty is in the journey, not necessarily in the destination. And if I hadn't had that loss all the way back in college, if I hadn't been pushed onto a different path, I never would have reconnected to my love of words and writing. I would have never been inspired to find my story, to find my words, and to begin to reframe my own narrative. You see, if I would have let the sighted world frame my story, if I would have let other people be the ones to describe my trajectory of life, I would have been framed as the poor little blind girl or the victim. But since I have reclaimed my own story and reclaimed my own narrative and put it down on paper and put it into words, since I've become a blogger and an advocate and an activist in the church and in the world, I now find myself as the protagonist in my own story. I find myself empowered once more. And if you remember the way I loved music so much when I was younger, I actually find myself doing more music than I could have ever possibly imagined. The joy of small church is the fact that since we don't have a very large church staff, actually the church staff is myself and a church secretary and a pianist, I find myself doing a lot more than I would have ever expected. I help to lead a praise band, arrange music, substitute sometimes as a pianist on Sundays, put together songs and music for the praise team or the Christmas choir during non-pandemic times. We might have something like that. And in the future, my goal is to start a ukulele choir for not just the young people, but anyone in the church who might be interested, because music can be really therapeutic. I know that not everybody is a religious person, and I respect that. I think, though, that as people with disabilities, we are first and foremost people, and we should be able to go and do anything we want to do. And so if we decide we want to go to church, we should be able to access that. So I've made my own personal goal in my own little tiny Methodist corner of the world. I've made my little goal, the, the goal of making the spaces that I inhabit and inhabit and the churches that I work for as accessible as possible. And I've been honored to sit on other committees for the greater church where I can work to educate people and help other churches and other organizations and other people to become more aware, more accepting, more empowering, and also to make our spaces inclusive as well. There's a lot of work to do, and we need a lot of people to do it. So I hope that we will all continue to work together to build bridges, to share our stories, and to know that whether or not you decide to write a book, whether or not you decide to sit down and start a website or a blog like I did, your story matters. And it's our stories that bring us together. It's our stories and the personal element that lots of times inspires people to make changes. So I'd be happy to take any questions or comments. Uh, Donald Dunn, you may unmute. Thank you uh, for your very inspiring story. Um, <clears throat> As a person who's blind and having been to two different churches in my life, uh, my first church that I grew up in 
there were people there who accepted me for who I were. Most did. But there also were those who, like you said, um, some wouldn't know how to talk to you, but some felt anybody disabled didn't belong in the congregation. You didn't belong in church because you sinned or your parents sinned and all those wonderful things. Well, that church closed eventually. and But the church I'm at now is very accepting of me. And I remember a short time after becoming a member, within a few years, they asked me to serve on council. They wanted my perspective of things. And then I've, you know, moved into even also now for the past number of years being chair of our stewardship team. And I couldn't ask for a better team than what I have. Um, so, you know, I, I do find that sometimes Christians can be very judgmental, but then others can be just the most accepting people. And I've, I've found a congregation where that's the case and certainly glad you have too. And certainly thank you for your amazing story. Well, thank you. I, I always am really happy to hear when people have positive experiences with the church in doing research and doing writings and in working with different committees. I lots of times just I've done surveys in the past and asked people to share their experiences. And I'm horrified, horrified a lot of the times at the harm and just the ignorance that a lot of times people have shown to other people. But other times I'm really heartened and encouraged by the positive stories I hear. So I'm always really encouraged to hear positive stories. I truly believe that people, not just church people, all people, I truly believe that all people are good. And if they get to know a person with a disability or if they just get basic understanding, if they become exposed to hearing our stories or seeing us out in public doing things, or if even just the representation of people with disabilities in the media becomes more normal, I think that there are people who genuinely want to help and just want to be accepting. And I think now is a better time than ever before to start building these bridges. So I'm really, really glad to hear when something positive like that happens. And I think for me, I'm also one who likes to, you know, help educate them too with uh, how to approach people and so I'm very approachable in that sort of way so I kind of help them as far as uh, and, and even saying well hey here's something I can do just you know here's how I need to do it and they'll go out of their way to work with me oh that's wonderful I really think that no one is it's no one's responsibility or requirement to educate anyone else about their disability. But if you have a heart for education, if you feel inspired to do that, I think that's a wonderful gift because I know in my own life, I've met so many people who have said, you're the only person who's visually impaired or you're the only person with low vision that I've ever met. And so I feel called to educate other people and to share through that. And I hope that in just interacting with me and having those moments of education, maybe they will go out to the world and not do something offensive. Maybe they will go out and not touch a guide dog, not grab somebody else's cane, not say something rude. And so thank you for being that light. No problem. Thank you. Irene, you should be able to unmute. Okay. Uh, I would like you to know that I enjoyed reading the articles that you put in the Advocate a while back, so that encouraged me to want to read your book, and it was very inspiring, knowing that, you know, you're visually impaired and you're female, and I passed the book along to my pastor, which is also female. Unfortunately, she recently had to retire because of health reasons, but she expressed her opinion to me that 
wow, this lady's from Pennsylvania, and she's a pastor, and she was originally from Punxsutawney, by the way, and she was uh, very enthused about your book, and I would like you to know that I'm, I appreciate it also. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much, Irene, for your kind words. I really do appreciate that. Uh, it's, it's so encouraging to hear about other female clergy or even just other females in professions that tend to be dominated by males. It's encouraging to hear about other people with disabilities who are doing things that other people are surprised to hear about. Like, wow, look, that person really can't do that. And so I'm really happy that that's landed for you. Yeah, it's in the bathroom. <laughs> Hello? Hello. Um, I, I, I just wanted to just briefly share a little bit of my um, experience. I, I enjoyed your, your story. Um, I've served in um, several organizations in my church. Um, hadn't been able to find a job, but I, I served um, in the children's organization, the youth organization, and um, uh, uh, the, the uh, women's, our women's organization. I was the president for several years and uh it's just good to know that there are people who they're more than accepting of disabilities they you know they they seek your counsel and they um listen to the things that you say and they value um the things that that you say in your opinions and uh that's that's very important it it uh it just strengthens you as a person and gives you confidence in who you are. Well, thank you for the good work that you're doing, Jack. It's Jacqueline, right? Or, yes. Yes. Thank you for yeah. the good work that you're doing. That's I'm, I'm always so happy to hear about other people that are out there doing good things. Um, a lot of times we give a lot of credit to ordained clergy, but in reality, percentage wise, there's far more people serving in ministry than that wear collar. It's, I truly believe that the church is the work of the people. And if you didn't have good people out there doing their best to try to make positive change, then the church wouldn't be the church at all. It would just be a clubhouse. And so thank you for making the church a positive place, especially in a world where there's so much negativity. Yeah. Our, our church has a, a totally lay ministry. And, um, and so it's, it, it's, <laughs> it can be doubly challenging um, when, when you, you know, you're not really trained um, educated for the for the work. You just ask so to serve and you, serve. you just ask to serve and you serve. Well, that's wonderful. Sometimes that's the best education. Yes. <laughs> when I first started in the church, I I was I was very drawn to the social justice aspects of the church, and so I did my internship at a place in Washington D.C. called the General Board of Church and Society. And my focus was on something called the Imagine No Malaria Project, where we were working to end global malaria, which I think is a very important project. The problem was when they placed me then in my full-time job, because the bishop appoints you, when the bishop appointed me to a church, it occurred to me I had never done Christmas or Easter or any of the other really important things. And so, you know what? Whether you're sighted or visually impaired, it, to, you just figure it out. <laughs> and I think that sometimes that's the best way to learn because in the end, you know, 
uh, the wheel of the year keeps spinning. Christmas comes again, Easter comes again, and week goes on, time goes on. And so I think that was a, a humbling as well as a, a kind of humorous lesson to learn. Okay, we have uh, Will, who is already unmuted and ready to make his comment. Go ahead, Will. So I have a question for you. Um, I was in a vision support group meeting the other day, and and one of the members of the group talked about how she feels um, other people are very awkward in in conversing with her or starting a conversation. They don't know what to say, and and she doesn't really know how to get get that conversational ball started. Or, or maybe even how to pick up on the cues that other people are giving her because she can't see. And, and so the people in our group, when, when she brought this topic up, the people in our group, the room kind of went silent. And I think it went silent because others have experienced this as well. And, and they in turn didn't really have a great answer for her. Um, my, my answer was to, to try and, and, and um, nurture your relationships that you already have by, by reaching out to people on the phone and to try and keep those relationships going as best you can. So that when, when in fact you do meet, whether it be in church or in some other location, you have things other to talk, uh, to talk about other than vision issues. And that, that perhaps you can ask them about the, how, how their son is doing in his new job or, or, you know, um, I hear your daughter moved to Colorado. How are things out there? Um, what tips or, or ideas do you have or ex- experiences that you've had that have helped you to overcome that awkward barrier that often seems to uh, slip in when someone doesn't know what to say or, or, or is just having difficulty in communicating with people around Oh, that's such an excellent question, and it is a really big challenge. I'm not going to say that I'm an expert, because I'm by no means an expert, but I have had practice at this um, over and over and over again. So every every occupation is different, but in my job, what they do is the bishop just places you at a church. He places you um, in a group of people, and so I actually this year was given a second church. And it was a great reminder at how to try to form connections again and how to meet people because I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anyone at the first church either, but uh, I had to learn. I can't really tell faces, so which most of us probably can't, but I, I had to learn a whole bunch of new voices. And since there's most, since most people only, it was a small church. There wasn't a lot of other extracurricular activities happening. And then, of course, we closed everything with the pandemic. I was trying to learn people on Sunday morning. And so these are my tips and tricks. Don't tell my parishioners, but this is, <laughs> this is our secret here for PCB. Step one is I always act like I this pro- I always act like I know who I'm talking to, even if I don't, which is probably not necessarily good. But then <laughs> I act like I, yes, and I smile. Like, well, now with the mask, it doesn't matter as much, but I try to give a big smile and I act like I know. And then I, because people will be offended, even if they know you're blind, if you don't, if they think, oh, this, I'm not important enough to the pastor. She doesn't know who I am. So I act like I know who they are. And I start with, how are you doing? And when you ask it, sound like you genuinely care. 
And if you can genuinely care, that's even better. It's, it's in my job description to care. I care a lot about people. So I really want to know, how are you doing? And then as people tell me how they're doing, then I can start to put the pieces together and think, oh, I know who this is. This is the church treasurer, or this is the head of youth ministry, or this is someone maybe I haven't met before. Maybe they're a guest. Then I start asking them more questions because people love to talk about themselves. They love it. And if they get the chance to talk more about themselves, then you can nurture the relationship and also start to connect pieces and get to know more about them as a person. So ask them more about themselves. People love to talk about their family, especially if they have children. If they're older folks, you can sometimes tell by the voice and they have grandchildren, they want to talk to you about that. And the great thing is, is the older they get, they want to tell you the same stories over and over and over again. As they're telling the stories, listen for small aspects of things that maybe you know about. So if I hear that somebody plays a musical instrument, if I hear someone is interested in books, if I hear someone has maybe worked as a teacher in the past, that gives us more and more to talk about. My goal in every conversation and every interaction is to actually let the other person talk more. Then they can leave the interaction leaving even more fulfilled. I know more about them. And a lot of times they think, oh, look how great a listener he or she is. And people enjoy good listeners. So those are some of the things I do. Um, another positive thing I found is that if you can find mutual interests or things in common, but also just common experiences and people enjoy complaining. So it's kind of hard sometimes to keep things positive and allow room for people's complaints. But if you say something like, oh, it's been such a long week and it's only Sunday or Monday or whatever, someone else will say, oh, yeah, it is. You wouldn't believe what happened to me. And then you can go from there. So that's kind of some of my tools of the trade. I don't know if that's helpful at all to anyone. I hope so. It's been helpful for me. Thank you very much. A phone number ending in 165. You should be able to unmute. I am unmuted. Good evening. This is um, Pam Shaw from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And it's really nice to meet you and to hear what I think is a very, very good um, discussion. I am a um, assistant pastor at Vision of Hope Baptist Church in Jenkintown, Pennsylvania. And one of the things I get is a lot of calls from um, theology students and other pastors wanting to know about the best kind of resources or how they can really help members of the congregation. And I wondered how you respond to something like that. Uh, so, hello, it's so nice to, to connect with you. It's great to hear that you're out there. You can. Um, one of the things that I like to refer people to, and I know that this is a United Methodist resource, but I think it's mm -hmm. a good ecumenical resource as well, is the United Methodist Church has put together in conjunction with other churches, so we've had other input, um, a United Methodist Disability website. So if you would mm -hmm. search um, United Methodist Disabilities, it would be one of the first things that popped up. On that website, they've really done a lot with putting together things like toolkits for disabling ableism, information about even closed captioning services now that everything's moved online, and they have links to really well-thought-out theological resources as well that include books and sermons and other, just anything you can imagine, everything from very theological to more accessible for laity. 
And yeah. so usually I point people in that direction because that committee mm-hmm. has done a better job of assembling resources than I could in just a five minute phone call. So that's usually mm-hmm. the direction I point people in. Great. Thank you. I will make you smile a little bit. One of the major challenges of being a Baptist preacher is when it comes to baptism. We do full immersion, but I assure you I have not drowned anybody yet. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> thank you. Take, thank you very much. This is Doug. I have a question. Um, and maybe you've covered this somewhere before, but um, it, with your vision loss, how do you deal with uh, like reading text and things like that in front of the uh, congregation? Yeah. So in front of the congregation, I prefer to use my iPad or my iPhone. What I, I'm sure there's probably even a better way to do this. But what I do is I look at what the scripture reading will be that day. I copy it off of, usually I use um, Oremus, O-R-E-M-U-S, Bible browser. Um, because then you can choose to select Bible passages and you can choose to leave out the little numbers, the verse numbers. So I copy that and then I paste it into the notepad app in my iPad or my iPhone. I use very large text and I set it to high contrast and then I read from that directly. And so it's only the text that I'll be reading that day and then I can go directly to it. If I'm presiding at a funeral or something that might be outside, so like if there's going to be a graveside committal or something where the glare would be very possibly very high, I take time to print out in 24 point font. See, print is not the most useful thing for me. I wish I knew Braille. But I print out in 24 point font uh, whatever the order of worship is. So I will print out the entire order of worship with all the readings and I put that into a three ring binder. I found a really fancy looking one that actually even kind of looks like a book. It's leather and it's got little golden corners. It looks nice. And then I read from that when I do the service. And I actually don't feel too bad about that because I've seen sighted colleagues show up to uh, funerals and or even weddings with just a binder with the service in it. So then you're not carrying around um, a huge book of worship. So that's, that's what I do. Now, when you use your iPhone, did you ever get a text message or an alert that interrupted your sermon? <laughs> oh, it's happened. I always try to put it in airplane mode now. I just put it right in airplane mode <laughs> right before as the prelude's playing. Um, but I've forgotten, and it's pinged through, and then I just try to make a joke and say, the Holy Spirit's calling. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Any other questions? So this is Chris Hunsinger. And I just wonder, would you ever think that you would take your ministry to something, you know, how Methodists can leave churches and go into other areas and have a musical ministry later? I'm really open in a lot of ways to whatever God might be calling me to do. Um, When people get a call in their life, when you feel called into ministry, I very specifically feel as if I was called to preaching ministry. So ministry of the word. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, in the future, God could change God's mind, and I'm open to that. But when I got my call, it was very clear that it was preaching. So whatever I do, as much as I love music, as much as I love working with kids, I personally feel as if there has to be an aspect of 
preaching involved in order to honor my call. Um, and so I don't really know where that will lead me. I really love pastoral ministry, though. I really like working in the small church. I like the fact that you get to know everybody and everybody knows you. And the delight of that is the fact that if I'm having a really bad vision day or I also get really bad migraines um, and I have some other health issues, if I don't feel like I don't want to go into the office that day, I don't have to because the only person there is the church secretary. And as long as I get 40 hours done in a week or 40 to 50 hours done in a week, which is what my contract says, they don't care. My district superintendent or my boss doesn't care if I do 12 hour days or if I do a whole bunch of shorter days. So that works really well for me and my own health needs and also fulfilling my own call. But in the future, I think it would be a delight to do work at a church that had a really robust music program or to do something like that. So I'm very open, but I'm also very happy. And this is Doug again, sorry. I know back in back in the day, as they used to say, um, people used to talk about uh, preachers getting invited to people's houses for Sunday dinner and things like that. Does that kind of stuff still happen? Yes. And, and so if it does, um, how has COVID, I would assume COVID changed all that? Oh, yeah. Well, in the pre-COVID world, so the, the Methodist Church, we really have roots in um, – like the Wild West and the American West, there would be the traveling preacher, and it was always him at the time. He would go around and he would ride his circuit. And so he would go, he might be in one place for a week and then another place for a week and another place for a week, and people wouldn't see him again for months at a time. And when he came to town, he would preside at the sacraments, which were baptism and Holy Communion, and it was a big deal. But so as the developed from that, it was expected that a lot of times the preacher was a single male who didn't have somebody at home to take care of him. And from that, in our tradition, uh, many people took it upon themselves to feed the pastor, which I think is delightful. I still have colleagues who serve in even more rural churches where they get eggs on their porch, fresh eggs or fresh milk on uh, certain days of the week. For me, though, in the pre-COVID world, this manifested a lot of times into people perhaps inviting me and uh, at the time my grandmother lived with me in the parsonage then uh, when she was able to move in with my mother my mother moved her in to take care of her and now it's my spouse uh, people would sometimes invite us to dinner we'd go do home visits and take communion um, for me I prefer and this is uh, kind of just my own thing. Since I don't see so very well, I like to entertain. So then I can have people over to the parsonage and I know where the items are and I know what's on the menu and I can take time to plan that. And it can lots of times be a, controlled isn't necessarily the right word, but a comfortable visit, or at least I'm more comfortable. But I'm blessed to be an extrovert. So I'm also willing to go out and go to people's houses in the post-COVID world or in the current COVID world, I've really scaled down on visits because I don't want to take anything to anybody. I would never want to be the person to spread disease or spread infection. Um, so I do a lot of ministry by phone. I do, we do a lot of things over Zoom. We do a lot of things online and through Facebook live streaming. And so in a lot of ways, actually, uh, the COVID world has made my ministry somewhat easier because I don't have to drive to meetings all over the place. I don't have to arrange for transportation or arrange for a driver. So it's also helped to 
Uh, phone number ending in 165. It's Pam again with a, uh, just a quick question. Um, I'm curious as to, I would imagine that part of your ministry um, as a pastor has to do with counseling, and I wondered how you're handling all that and how you're dealing with um, even nonverbal cues. Yeah, so in seminary, I took, we had to take a couple classes in pastoral care and counseling, and one of the really helpful things that I was told by that professor is if people need more than three meetings, if you're meeting with someone more than three times that you should refer them to another form of counseling. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a rule of thumb that I go by. I'm always willing to be a, to be a kind shoulder to cry on, to be a listening ear, but I try to be very aware of my own limited capabilities. My background is in, like I said, English, music, uh, not so much counseling. Gotcha. But when people come, I try to do similar to what I said earlier about even meeting people that I'm not sure who they might be. I try to ask a lot of questions and give people the space to talk things out for themselves. Um, and, and for me, it's not so much even physical cues, but I think you can hear a lot in a person's voice. I'm sure most of us picked up on that. If you ask them to just think things through out loud and say, describe that to me. Another question I really like is, how does that make you feel? Or what do you think about that? Because for more minor issues, not, not that anything in life is necessarily so super incredibly minor, but for smaller things, I think people lots of times have a gut instinct and they just want someone to hear them out. And if it gets into things that are more serious, uncomfortable saying you, you need to see someone with, um, with more background, and I keep a list of people that I feel comfortable referring other folks to. Great. Thanks again. Uh, phone number ending in 344. You are able to unmute. Uh, yes, this is Ethel Siegel. Now, uh, wait, uh, I, I'll try to be brief with this. Wait, you have some, you do have some vision, right? Yes, I have a very limited field of vision in my left eye. So, uh, as I like to say, I just have enough vision to get me into trouble. I can read really large print um, on a good vision day. I can walk in well-lit areas without a white cane. I really should use my white cane. Uh, Now, I'm Jewish, and uh, I wanted to know, um, have you ever... Yeah, you know, like mingled with rabbis, and or my experience with the synagogue is both ends of the spectrum. Some people are very uh, are are unaccepting, and some people are very accepting. And um, have you had an experience with Judaism? I mean, with rabbis. Yeah. You know, have you ever mingled with rabbis? So in seminary, we had to pick. You had to take either Greek or Hebrew. And I selected Hebrew because personally, I'm very fascinated by the Old Testament. So we got a sort of crash course in Judaic culture that way. But in my current profession, in the place where I work in Altoona, every year we have a Thanksgiving service, which is interfaith. So we do it in conjunction with the local synagogue. I'm also part of the female clergy ministerium, and so I've gotten to know the head of the local synagogue, whose name is Rabbi Audrey, and she is a wonderful person, and she is incredibly intelligent. She's a font of knowledge. She's listened to so many of my, I'm sure, very naive and dumb questions, 
But just being around her and learning from her has been so informative. And she's so accepting in so many ways. One of my greatest delights was I helped at a music camp for, it was a Methodist music church camp, but anybody could go to it. And the production we did was Fiddler on the Roof, or that the children did. And so Rabbi Audrey actually came in for a couple days and talked to the children and the counselors about the actual history of Judaism and the history of the different things that were represented in that musical. So I had Excuse me, I missed, oh, I'm sorry. I missed the beginning. You became uh, uh, blind from what was, was cataracts, was it? Uh, bilateral congenital cataracts, and then glaucoma developed as a complication of surgery. Okay, thank you. So cataracts on both eyes, and then it took surgery to remove them because I was a little baby, and there was then secondary membranes grew back, and then my eyes crossed, um, so they needed to do surgery for that. And then through all those surgeries, an air pocket formed in the back of my eyes and placed pressure on the optic nerve. So glaucoma has been something that I've had then since I was four. Well, thank you so much for having me. For anyone who's interested, I do uh, give out free copies of my book in whatever format you prefer. I don't have Braille. But if anyone's interested in a free copy of the United Methodist Church and Disability or through my Good Eye Memoir and Verse, I make them available for free to other people with disabilities because I believe in access to education and information. Feel free to send me an email. I can send you a PDF or a Word file. Or if you want to support me by buying it, they're both available on Amazon. <laughs> if you're looking to find me online, you can find me at my website, Becky Writes, B-E-C-K-I-E, so with an I-E, Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S dot com, because I'm Becky, and I write things. So thanks for having me. It's been a delight. Well, thank you so much for being there, here. <laughs>